God, I'm reminded this morning that you are a God who is with us. Uh, you never leave us or forsake us. If we are on uh, the highest mountain, you are there. If we are in the deepest valley, uh, you are there still. And so we give you thanks this morning for your presence in and among your people. Uh, Lord, we thank you that uh, because of Jesus, you call us your sons and daughters. And you allow us to walk with you, to know you, and to be known by you. Uh, if you're here this morning and you have a relationship with Jesus, if you're here uh, this morning and you are uh, seeking and searching, I want to welcome you. And I want to encourage you this morning just to take a moment and pray in our time together that God, by the power of his spirit, uh, would speak to you. You know you better than I know you. And so just take a moment, if you would, and pray for yourself that God would speak. you would be so kind, would you uh, pray for me that my words this morning would be helpful uh, to you wherever you find yourself this morning, that uh, the good name of Jesus would be highly exalted and praised. God, we give you thanks this morning for your living and active word. Thank you that you still use it to form and shape your people, to change us, to cause us uh, to reflect the image of your son, Jesus. Uh, Lord, as we come to your word this morning, I pray that you would open our eyes so that we would see, uh, open our ears so that we would hear and soften our hearts so we would receive from you what you have for us this morning. We trust you, Lord, to do a good work for your name's sake. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen. You may have a seat. Welcome, Christ Point family. It's good to see you this morning. I would like to begin by sharing a couple of announcements. This is kind of like the after party. These are the announcements after the announcements. I'm not going to do as good a job as Jody did, uh, but I want to share two very important things this morning. Uh, one, if you had an opportunity uh, to be a part of the event at 1-7 on a Thursday evening, I just want to let you know that I thank God uh, for you. Whether you had an opportunity to personally go down and minister to the community there in East Charlotte, uh, whether you are a financial contributor and giver uh, to this church family, I want you to know that your resources are being used by God to engage the community where God has placed us. Whether you are here this morning uh, and you prayed for uh, that event and asked that God would move and act, uh, I just want to let you know that, that God did a good thing on Thursday night. Uh, there is no greater joy than uh, to see our church family come together and make slime uh, for 100 kids in that community. It literally was wheels off. I mean, it was wheels off. The rain was coming down, uh, but the team did an incredible job uh, providing food and engaging with the kids and building uh, relationships uh, with those who call 1-7 uh, their home. There are times in life, church family, where I believe God allows us to see things uh, that we cannot unsee. Right? So many times in life you hear stories, uh, you may hear rumblings of, of stuff that's taking place 
whether it's in our own backyard or somewhere across the pond, but there are times when God opens your eyes to things that he's doing in your own backyard and you just cannot unsee it. And I have to tell you, over the course of the last couple years, I've been able to be a small part of what God is doing uh, in that community. And it brings me great joy uh, to know that you, that our church family, is partnering with that incredible organization. I really believe that God's going to uh, continue to do a great work in the days ahead. So, man, give God thanks and praise. Uh, yeah. Also, I wanted to share with you this morning that uh, you may have noticed that things are starting to look a little different around these parts. There are some things hanging from the ceiling that are no longer hanging uh, from the ceiling. If you, if you scan the place, you may notice that there are a few tags on some of the goodies uh, that you see around this place. And there is a reason uh, for that. Uh, you may know that we have been uh, renting this place uh, from Donnie for uh, almost a year and a half. In August of 2020, uh, we moved in, and Donnie and his family have been gracious uh, to us over uh, that time. Uh, we've known for a while that uh, Donnie was exploring options and having conversations uh, with people about selling uh, the barn. We didn't know if that was going to be a matter of months. Uh, we didn't know if it was going to be a matter of years. However, uh, in the last few months in particular, it seems like Donnie has uh, garnered some serious interest uh, from prospective buyers. And so even though uh, nothing has been finalized yet, uh, we really believe that that's probably going to be sooner uh, rather than later. And so as a church family, we want to uh, plan accordingly. Um, it is our hope and expectation that once uh, that, uh, that purchase is made official, that we'll still be able to continue to meet here. And so that's our hope and prayer. Uh, we really believe that that's going to be uh, the case. However, uh, because of the generosity of so many within our church family, uh, we purchased almost a year ago six and a half acres adjacent to the barn right off of Ridge Road. And you may know that uh, one of our hopes and prayers as a church family this year is that uh, by God's grace that we would be able to break ground uh, this year uh, on a new place for Christ Point uh, to meet. We will receive our first initial drawings uh, this coming up Friday of what that facility may look like. And once we have those drawings, we'll have a, a better understanding of the cost uh, to build that building. But we are uh, excited uh, for what God has in store uh, in the months and in the years ahead. Uh, we exist as a church uh, to point people to Jesus. We see a permanent location as simply a tool uh, that will enable us, by the grace of God, to do that uh, more effectively. And so we're excited as God continues to lead and guide us down this road. Uh, if I could be so bold, I want to encourage you, if you would, uh, to pray that God would grant to us wisdom as we continue to move forward and seek clarity in terms of what uh, that will look like. And so I'm excited uh, to see what God has in store. Uh, Donnie did ask me uh, to mention to you that there are some goodies upstairs. Um, you probably have not been upstairs, but some of uh, the, the stuff that's been on the ceiling or uh, on the walls has been moved upstairs, and we need to move it downstairs uh, because Donnie's going to be selling some of his goods uh, this coming up Friday at an auction. And so, listen, my mama always said, many hands make light work. And so if you are able 
uh, after the service today, I want to encourage you to head up those stairs and we'll bring some of those things uh, down. So uh, it'll, it'll be neat to see what God has in store for us. Are you guys ready to start our new series? All right, I'm going to close in prayer. You guys have a great week. Uh, are you excited for us to begin our new series? Yes, yeah. You're just doing it because I asked twice. You're not fooling anyone. Well, this morning we begin our journey uh, through the book of James. Uh, we'll spend our summer months and likely uh, the first part of September walking through uh, the, the book of James together. Uh, it's not unusual for us as a church family to go through a large portion of scripture or to go through a book. Uh, there's a reason for that. Like I mentioned, we exist to point people to Jesus. One of the ways that we do that is by encountering the life-transforming power of the Word of God. Uh, I'm not smart enough, creative enough, funny enough, whatever enough uh, to change anyone's heart or life, and yet God's Word uh, is. Uh, the God who created the world, who spoke the world into existence, has given to us His Word. And if God's Word is powerful enough to create, it is powerful enough uh, to change. And God oftentimes uses the power of His Word to change you and me. And so I'm excited as we open up uh, this book together uh, to see what God has in store for us. Uh, the book of James is not a book about becoming a Christian. Uh, if you're here this morning and you're not a Christian, I want to welcome you. Uh, I'm so glad you are here. But the book of James isn't a how to begin a relationship with God book. It's not about becoming a Christian. It is, however, about behaving like one. And so we are calling this series Living Faith, Living Faith, because we believe that faith uh, causes us to live a certain way. Our creed, what we believe, impacts our conduct or how we live. Our doctrine uh, is put on display. Right? God wants to change uh, his people, and so the book of James uh, calls us to this. The book of James calls us to move and to act. There are 108 verses in the book of James. I didn't count them all. I took it by faith because I read it in a commentary. Uh, nearly 60 of those verses are imperatives. And imperatives are commands. They're things that, that God, through James, is calling us to do. And so this book is incredibly uh, practical. There are 12 major teachings in the book of James, chapters 2 through 5. James chapter 1 introduces those teachings to us. And so if you have your Bibles, uh, turn with me to James chapter 1. Uh, James chapter 1, beginning in verse 1. If you don't have a copy of God's Word with you this morning, uh, the passage will be on the screen and you can follow along. You can also pull out uh, the Bible app and uh, go under events, find Christ Point Church, and you can follow along with the passage and with the outline this morning. Uh, James chapter 1, verse 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the twelve tribes in the dispersion, greetings. Count it all joy, my brothers, when you face or meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect that you may be perfect and complete, uh, lacking in nothing. Uh, the book of James was written by none other than James. Yes, that's a great guess. 
Who is James? Believe it or not, James was a popular name uh, during the time of Jesus. His name uh, means, means Jacob. A lot of times in Scripture, when you see it, it'll be translated Jacob. But I, I personally, and this is just me, I personally like James. I think James is a strong name. James is a timeless name. James is a good name. Thanks, Mom, for naming me James. Of the original 12 apostles or disciples that followed Jesus, two of them were named James, but this book is not written by either of them. Uh, instead, the book of James was written by James, uh, the brother of Jesus. Jesus had siblings. He had brothers. Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, it says, Is this not the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? Are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? This is that guy, right? The guy that's spoken of in Matthew chapter 13, verse 55, is the guy uh, that wrote this book. But interestingly enough, James, the brother of Jesus, was not always a follower of Jesus. Uh, he knew Jesus, he rubbed shoulders with Jesus, uh, but he was not a follower of Jesus. John chapter 7, beginning in verse 2, reads, Now the Jews' feast of booths was at hand. So his brothers said to him, Leave here and go to Judea, that your disciples also may see the works you are doing. For no one who works in secret, if he seeks to be known openly, if you do these things, show yourself to the world. Verse 5, for not even his brothers believed in him. Isn't that interesting? Uh, James knew Jesus, perhaps grew up with Jesus, but he did not believe in him. He did not believe in Jesus. But, but something happened in his life. Right? Something happened in the life of James that changed his perspective. Uh, he had... A moment in his life where he came to a crossroads and all of a sudden the way that he saw his brother changed radically. We know this because James actually became a leader in the church ministering to Jewish Christians. Paul in Galatians chapter 1 verse 18 says, Then after three years I went up to Jerusalem to visit Cephas, and remained with him 15 days, but I saw none of the other apostles except James, uh, the Lord's brother. So something happened, right? For James to go from James, a doubter, James, an unbeliever, to James, an apostle and leader in the church. What happened? What happened in his life? Well, I, I think what happened is that after Jesus was buried and rose from the grave, uh, he revealed himself uh, to a number of people, and James was in that group. Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, verse 3 says, For I delivered uh, to you first of all that which I also received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, that he was buried, and that he rose again the third day according to the Scriptures that he was uh, seen by Cephas and then by the twelve. And after that, he is seen by over 500 brethren at once, of whom the greater part remain to the present, but some have fallen asleep. After that, he was seen by James, uh, then by all of the apostles. I really believe that this was the fork in the road experience uh, for James, the brother of Jesus. 
He grew up with Jesus. He knew Jesus. He heard the stories from Jesus. But when this happened, there was buy-in to the person in the work of Jesus. Right? His, his life was changed. Has that ever happened to you before? You knew of Jesus. You heard the stories about Jesus. But there was a fork in the road moment where you're like, I'm all in for Jesus. No longer is it a Sunday school story. Uh, no longer is it something that you see on the flannel graph in church. Like, it's, it's real. You have an experience that opens your eyes uh, to the person and work of Jesus. It reminds me of the quote from, uh, from Andy Stanley. I don't, I don't love everything that, uh, that Andy says or writes, but, but he's right on when he says, if a man can predict his own death and resurrection and then pull it off, I'm just going to go with whatever that man says. Right? Like, I like like, that's silly. I can, I can track with that. Like, you hear the stories, and maybe there's some doubt, but if someone's like, hey, I'm going to come, I'm going to die, I'm going to be buried, and I'm going to be raised to life, and then he pulls it off, and he's like, I'm going, I'm in. I'm in. James uh, was in. Right? He was in. Right? His, his life w- was changed in, in a radical way. James, the brother of Jesus. What's interesting to me is that James doesn't begin his book by saying James, the brother of Jesus. I say that's interesting because quite honestly, if it were me, like I would be dropping his name left and right. I would, I would spend time with my friends and they would be like, what did you do this week? I just was hanging around with my brother, Jesus. Right? I mean, like how cool would that be? So I was talking to Jesus the other day. I was at the breakfast table, and I said, Hey, Jesus, can you pass the bread? Like any chance I got, I just would name drop. I would name, Jesus is my brother, and he kind of rubbed off on me. That would be so tempting. And yet James doesn't do that. It reminds me of uh, a stand-up routine by comedian Brian Reagan when uh, he talked about the guy at the party who he describes as a me monster, right? The me monster makes every conversation about himself. If you share something with the mean monster, he just one-ups you. He's a one-upper. If you tell him, I had two wisdom teeth taken out last week, he would tell you, oh yeah, I had four. Uh, The the me monster goes out of his way uh, to brag about all that he's accomplished and all that he has done. And Brian Reagan says one of his fantasies in life is to land on the moon and walk because he said only a handful of people have done it. And it would be like the ultimate, like one-upper at a party when someone says, well, what did you do this weekend? And they brag about their travels and all they've accomplished and all they've done. An astronaut could say, well, that's great. Last week, I walked on the moon. Right? Well, if, if that astronaut were having a conversation with James, James could say, oh, yeah? Well, my brother, he made the moon. Like, I would go out of my way to name you. Yeah, amen and amen. I'd, that, I'd be that guy. But when James writes to the church, to the scattered uh, church, this is what he says. James, a servant 
of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ. James identifies himself as a servant or as a slave to Jesus. He gives no spiritual resume, although he could offer one. There are, there are no family ties mentioned, although he could make one. Instead, his identity is simply one of a servant. And we see this all throughout the pages of Scripture. This is the way of Jesus, and this is the way of his followers. I love when Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians chapter 3, uh, verse 5. He's talking about uh, men that people were apt to follow and associate themselves with uh, because it gave them some credibility and significance in their community. Uh, these were name droppers of significant spiritual figures or leaders. And Paul writes to the church at Corinth in 1 Corinthians 3, verse 5, and says, what then is Apollos? What is Paul? Servants through whom you believed as the Lord assigned to each. I planted, Apollos watered, but God gave the growth. So neither he, nor pl he who plants nor he who waters is anything, but only God who gives the growth. He who plants and he who waters are one, and to each will receive his wages according to his labor. For we are God's fellow workers, and you are God's field, God's building. I love that. Who is Apollos? Who is Paul? I mean, I mean, they were the real deal spiritually. They were a big deal. And Paul says, uh, we're, we're servants. I mean, like literally table waiters. The guy at Chick-fil-A that goes around and says, may I refresh your beverage? That, that's who we are. The guy at the restaurant who comes to your table and says, how may I help you? Like that, that's who we are. There, there's such a temptation in our culture, not just our culture. This has been the temptation since the beginning of time. Like to, to, to follow the man. To, to say, I'm with him. I know him. I go to his church. I read his book. I listen to his podcast. And Paul and James and followers of Jesus say that the way of Jesus is a way of service. James, a servant of God and of the Lord uh, Jesus Christ. In a world that is grasping for identity, in looking toward all sorts of lesser things uh, to define us, whether it's work or position or title, our relationship status, our success, our resources, or anything else other than Jesus. It is refreshing uh, to hear James identify himself uh, with none other than Jesus. I'm with him. I'm his servant. James continues, count it all joy, verse 2, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Uh, for you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness, and let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Uh, James, in this little section, notes the reality of trials, our response to trials, and the result of trials. Three things, right? The reality of trials, our response to trials, and the result of trials. First, I want us to notice the reality of trials. When you face trials, 
of many kinds. When? When, not if, but when. Last week, I was working out with a friend, uh, Brandon Lindsay. I don't know many of you uh, probably know Brandon. And uh, we were doing this exercise, and I was, I was lifting this weight, which for me was a lot of weight. For common man, it probably was not. Uh, but but I, I lifted it, and I snatched it up. And when I did, I heard what sounded like a pop in my left knee. And when you're my age and you hear sounds that are not normal, it's usually not a good thing. And so I threw the weight down and I started rubbing my knee like this. And Brandon looked over and he's like, like what's wrong? And I said, Brandon, I said, I, I just heard, it felt like the outside of my left knee uh, pop. And, and without hesitating, Brandon replied, you'll have that. Who says that? Now listen, listen, Brandon is, is, a, is a leader in the workforce, in a, in a good one. Brandon and his team uh, started Dream On 3, an incredible organization uh, that helps sports dreams come true for some amazing kids. His podcast, Give Us the Dirt, is well worth a listen. He's a good uh, father. He's a good husband. He is a friend. He is not a medical doctor, right? And so when I hear sounds coming from certain places on my body and he says to me, you'll have that, I think to myself, what in the world are you talking about? And so I said to him, what in the world are you talking about? And he said, you'll have that. Sounds like a CT band. You'll have that. And I just sh shook my head and thought, you are a nut. Uh, James writes to the church, and in the context of trials, he says, you'll have that. You'll have that. Jesus isn't, or, or James isn't being flippant. He's not making light of the trials that we experience or have. He is not arguing that trials are little things or insignificant things or unimportant things. He does argue that they are expected things. You'll have that. Uh, James here calls them various trials. The point isn't to compare your kind of trial with someone else's trial. It's, it's not to rank or to seed your trial. That's a number one seed. That's a doozy. That trial is a 16 seed. That one just got into the tournament. That's hardly a trial. James isn't arguing that. He says all of us, meaning all of us, will experience a some level of trials. And James doesn't, and the Bible doesn't, downplay your trial. It doesn't. The Bible doesn't say that's insignificant or that's not a big deal. Ah, don't worry about that. The Bible doesn't make that argument. Instead, the Bible does just the opposite. The Bible is filled with words uh, to the sufferer. The most frequent psalm is the psalm of lament. People who have experienced or are experiencing trials and they're crying out to God, saying to him, help. 
The Bible has a word uh, for the sufferer. And so James isn't belittling trials. He's not making light of them. And so what exactly does he mean when he talks about uh, trials? Uh, Theologian Doug Moo, in his commentary on the book of James, uh, writes that although the word trials can be understood in other contexts to mean a temptation in the passive sense, uh, this is not the case here. Uh, These are testings in the active sense of experiences that prove a person's intention. James's hearers were undergoing trials in the permissive will of God to prove the genuineness of their faith. And such trials that that James and followers of Jesus experienced 2,000 years ago, uh, to some degree or another, we experience uh, these now. Uh, And this is the way of Jesus. And this should not surprise us. A multitude of afflictions are likely in view here. Conflicts from opponents, like, like people that you speak truth to or with, and there's, there's conflict, you can experience a trial navigating through that. It could be doubts or fears or tribulations. Like There's this big umbrella of various trials that life experience falls under. And James writes to the church and says, you are going to experience those talks about the reality of trials, and then James talks about our response to trials. He, he does it in the beginning of the verse, actually, not in the middle or at the end. He says, consider it pure joy. Consider it joy uh, when you face trials of various kinds. Do you ever read something in the Bible and think to yourself, what? <laughs> like, come again? Like, I have lots of experiences when it comes to uh, trials, but, but my default is not joy. But something doesn't come my way that feels like a punch, and I go, praise the Lord. Yeah! More, please. I don't feel that. I want to avoid that. I want to get out of that. I don't want to embrace that. But James writes here and says, uh, consider it a pure joy. So what does that mean? Uh, It doesn't mean that we're out of touch with reality. It doesn't mean that we live with our head in the sand. It doesn't mean that we won't feel the weight or the grief or the hardship or the difficulty of trials. They are significant. The author of Hebrews, whoever that might be, wrote, no discipline seems pleasant at the time, but painful. Trials are hard. They are painful. If you've experienced the pain of loss, of heartache, of heartbreak, a a kind of take your breath away, I don't think I can get out of bed sort of trial then you know that that is true. Jesus is not suggesting, or James is not suggesting, that we uh, respond in such a way that we uh, sing immediately, I've got the joy, 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 joy down in my heart. He's he's not suggesting that. However, However, he does suggest that disciples of Jesus should joyfully accept as test the opposition they encounter in serving God. One author suggests that this means to make a deliberate 
and careful decision to experience joy in times of trouble. This is in line with Paul's teaching that Christians, that followers of Jesus, will experience many hardships by which we enter the kingdom of God, Acts chapter 16. Remember, James is speaking to the scattered church. The kingdom, once united, had been divided. The Assyrians took over the north. The Babylonians took over uh, the south. God's people were scattered. And during James's leadership, uh, the church experienced famine and poverty and opposition. There were Jews who at one time didn't know what to do with Jesus, who were following Jesus. And because they were following Jesus, they were experiencing persecution by other Jews. Right? So, so James is writing to a church where this isn't theory. This isn't classroom talk from 30,000 feet. This is boots on the ground, like we're living this out. So James is preparing the church and he's calling the church uh, to respond a certain way when they experience trials. He talks about the reality of trials, when, when, when you face trials of various kinds. He, he talks about our response to trials, joy. And then he's going to talk about the result of the trials. And I think the result of the trials is connected to our response to the trials. Because oftentimes when we're going through the trial, our immediate response is not joy. But James is going to paint a picture here and argue that God is doing a good work even in the midst of your trials. He says in verse 2 of James chapter 1, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. For you know that the testing of your faith produces steadfastness. And let steadfastness have its full effect, that you may be perfect and complete lacking in nothing. Uh, James encouraged them to embrace their trial, not for what they were, but for what, was, for what God was going to do through them. Right? The testing of your faith produces steadfastness, or uh, as one author uh, uh, translates it, staying power. I love that. The test, the trial, produces a staying power in you and in me. And when steadfastness or staying power is worked out, apparently it causes us, you and me, followers of Jesus, uh, to be different. This is Christian maturity. James isn't talking about the fact that we're perfect in the sense that we never sin again. He, he's saying that God uses our trials to mold and shape us into the image of Jesus. Listen, if you're a follower of Christ, God wants to change you. He's in the business of changing people, and he does it all the time. I think it was Anne Lamont who said, God loves you just the way that you are, and he loves you too much to let you stay that way. Now, that is true as long as you have breath. And I don't care if you're here this morning and you're 18 or you're 80. If you have breath, God's working in you and on you by the power of his spirit. He's, he's molding you and shaping you. He's forming you into the man or to the woman that he wants you to become. I have to be honest with you. When I, when I read a passage like this, 
I think to myself, more often than not, I don't want that. I don't want, I don't want, I don't want trials. I don't want to be stretched. I don't want to be broken. I don't even many times want to ha- have to put my faith into practice. I want life to work. And particularly, I want my life to work. I want things to go my way. Like I really do. But apparently, God wants something more than life simply going our way. He wants to change our life. He wants to change the person that we are becoming. And he's intentional about his work. He started the work, and he will complete his work. He cares more about your spiritual formation than even you do. Trials? You'll have them. You'll have them. If, you're, if you are here this morning and you're, you're, you're living and breathing, then I want to prepare you for life. Uh, it, will, it will not be easy. It won't, it won't be. I mean, I'm, I'm looking out this morning and many of you, I know your story. Metaphorically, you've been punched. We, we have open sharing time here at Christ Point, and, and we go down the chairs, and our, and our people, they'll, they'll tell stories. I mean, gut-wrenching, take your breath away, come quickly, Lord Jesus kind of stories. I don't say that to discourage you. Like maybe you're a teenager this morning and you're like, are we, man, we got to get out of here. Like you got hopes and dreams. You're thinking about your, your life and how it's going to go. And I'm telling you, it's not going to go the way that you want it to. And it's true if you're 18 or 38 or 58 or 88. It's life in a fallen world. Uh, trials, you'll have that. But by the grace of God, may you face them with joy. Not, not, not because they're easy. They're not easy. But, but may you face them with joy because God's doing something in you. God's working. And oftentimes when we are at our worst, when we are at our worst, God is doing his very best work in you and in me. So experience those trials uh, with joy because God is producing something in you. He's molding and shaping you into the image of his son. Uh, and that, that is a beautiful thing. And so may you experience the grace and the goodness of God and, and come uh, to know the good work uh, that he is doing in you this morning. Would you pray with me? God, I thank you that your word is not out of touch with reality. That this book, written 2,000 years ago, lands on us today right where we are. Uh, we, we have experienced 
trials, perhaps we are experiencing them right now, like right now, or we will experience them in the days ahead. Would you produce in us an indescribable, by faith joy that is peculiar and different uh, because we know in those very moments that you are doing a good work in us uh, for your name's sake. You are producing uh, something in us. Lord, we give you thanks for that truth this morning. God, we love you. We thank you so much that you have loved us first. We pray these things in Jesus' name and by your spirit. Amen.